in God. And as he said, my name is Tim, but I'm in a simple cool. Makagagansel, one of them called the Sanguine Goyamam Langay, Malandela. If you forget all the other things that I've just said, just remember Temba. And I'm married to, as Doug, uh, Dave was saying, I'm married to a beautiful wife by the name of Denise. And there she here, I call her my sweet of cough. It's a direct translation from, from Zulu. And she's here with me to raise us. And the three blenders, or four, I have four blenders at full speed with no top. And if you're a parent, I'm sure you resonate why that is the case. And one of the things you must understand that as much as I'm a preacher, you know, being an accountant, I'm acutely aware that we accountants have been endowed with the special gift of curing insomnia every time we get up to speak. Now I'm told the reason for that is that we have a tendency to speak in tongues and without ceasing. You know, so it is in that vein that I'm going to try and be clear and be brief and get to the point of what today's message is is all about. And I think and I hope you are you've come, you're excited, you are ready to hear what God has to say in your life, in my life as we gather here this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm a village preacher, by the way. I need to say that. So I love the amens, the hallelujah. In fact, if, you know, like, this is the, the, the deal. I preach better, quicker, faster. If you say amen, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to be out of here in no time if I get the amens and the hallelujahs going. And I want, to, I want us to do a quick game before we get into the grubby parts and the exciting parts of this message. This half of the room, you're going to say, this is the day that the Lord has made, and this half I will rejoice and be glad in it. One, two, three, let's go. Hallelujah. I will not get grumpy and get mad. I will rejoice in it. Hallelujah. Amen. It's going to be a good time as we worship the Lord. The title of this morning's message is Don't cry don't cry is the title of this message this morning and we are going to be reading in luke chapter 7 verses 11 to 17 and i'm definitely not reading from the niv the newly incorrect version i'm, I'm just kidding it's, it's, it's a decent translation but i'm reading from the nlt and it is for no specific special reason other than the fact that most of the other translations say city. I love the idea of a village. You know, I'm a village boy. And so I said, you know what? Which translation calls this city or this place that we're in a village? And that's the criteria at which this particular translation wins the day this morning. And it reads as follows. Soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain. And a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and 
he touched it. And the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd. And they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Amen. Hallelujah. And I want to just say this. If you are here today by mistake, or it's just a coincidence that you're finding yourself here, or you think, you know, it's just a series of uncoordinated circumstances that brought you here, I want you to think again, because I do believe God has brought you into the seat that you're in today for a specific purpose. And there is a message specially for you, fresh off the press of heaven. And the title of this message, again, I said, it is Don't Cry. And as I unpack and go through it, I'm going to go through both the black and the red letters. Whenever we see Jesus, we appreciate that Jesus Christ was fully God and also he was fully man. And so when we look and see the things that he did, it's not just the words that he spoke that are important, but also the things that he did that are important. In fact, he himself, the Bible says, he is the word. That's what John reminds us, that Jesus was the word in the flesh. And so it is appropriate that when we look at what he did, it was the word itself. It bears a message that is applicable to us as well. And so oftentimes when we look at what Jesus Christ does is that I speak for myself that I'm guilty of this is that we dive and rush to the conclusion, to the resolution of the story. We see that he's already raised this woman. But the challenge is with that, we forget that the people that he's encountering are true. They are real people who are going through real struggles. And this woman in this particular passage had no idea that Jesus would be coming. And something that is something that is often lost when we get to see that, ah, oh, Jesus Christ is coming. And I want you to indulge me as we just imagine and climb into the pages of the Bible together and smell the sins and feel the agony and the pain, the destituteness of this particular lady, the hopelessness of the situation as we dive into her life and experience this passage from her perspective. It must have been a hot day. And the blistering sun rays burned her covered head and grief pressed down on her knees, making them weak, making each step a painful experience as she walked beside her son's coffin. She was surrounded by the crowd, yes, yet she was alone. Alone in her thoughts, alone in the intimacy of her pain, alone bearing the weight of her grief. First, she had lost her only begotten or only and beloved husband. And now she has lost her only begotten son. And she is left with nothing but an empty house and a profound ache in her chest. 
as the funeral procession moved through the village. I can imagine the people of Nain watched her with sympathetic eyes. Their hushed conversations filled with sorrow. She clutched tightly to her widow's veil, the only connection to her past, a past that seemed to fade away with each passing day. Looking ahead to the village gate, there was nothing but the somber faces of the pallbearers, their shoulders slumping under the weight of her son's lifeless body. The tomb, a cold and carvenous chamber carved in the hillside. It stood open, ready to receive its new occupant. Perhaps her thoughts wandered to the day he was born. And every mother and every father can imagine with me his cries filling their modest home with joy, his laughter lighting up even the darkest corners in their lives. But now, all she had was memories and the overwhelming solitude of her existence. It is in this moment that I can imagine her looking at what is about to happen to her son. He was about to be placed into the cold, dark depths, and she would be left to navigate the world that seemed devoid of meaning without him. I can imagine the tears welling up from her eyes and her voice quivering as she tried to mutter her last goodbyes. And peering through her tear-stained eyelids, peering through the widow's veil, I can see her looking into the horizon as she sees a crowd approaching. At that stage, she had no idea who the crowd was. And for us to fully appreciate this, losing a husband was not a small thing back in the context of that culture. You needed the husband to help with the work, the husband to help even with simple things like just protection. Remember, there was no ADT and private security and SAPS and so on. Even physical protection was needed from the men within the house. Now, the issue is not only has she lost her husband, but she has now lost her only begotten son. Who is going to carry the family heritage? Who is going to take care of her in her old age? Again, there was no insurance policy. There was no life insurance. There was no old age home that she could go to. She was vulnerable and she remained destitute. It is about at this moment that I want to say, but God, but Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Rock of Ages, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the one who was, is, and is yet to come, the one who remains unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone, especially when he comes and he approaches a funeral. And most of you, if you've read, I know you've read your, your, your Bible, you'd understand, maybe let me say this in Afrikaans, is that Jesus had knee bakraf sinner, hut chadun ni. 
In other words, Jesus did not do well with funerals. In other words, every time you saw Jesus at a funeral, it did not end being a funeral. In our context, what happens when there's a funeral? You know, we, we have what we call after tears. Who's, who's heard of the term after tears? We have after tears where, you know, people drink themselves to oblivion afterwards. But the problem is the dead person is still there. The Jesus after tears, there would be no coffin. There would be no dead body remaining when Jesus Christ was done with the particular, particular funeral situation. But what we see Jesus Christ, he comes here and he approaches this lady. And what does he say? He says, don't cry. Now, if you're a guy here sitting here, my advice Free of charge, advice to you. Never tell a woman, don't cry. Just for just. Don't do that. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's a compliment, by the way. And I'll explain to you why I say this. You know, if a woman crying, it's almost like watching a Marvel superhero movie in real time. It starts with the quivering of the lips. That's her superpowers charging up. And then it's followed by the, the sniffles. That's her summoning tissue like the Black Panther summons his black suit. And then suddenly the waterfall comes of galactic proportions. <laughs> now it is in that moment where you dare not say don't cry. It is like telling the hawk to chill out. It doesn't end well. So my advice is you take the tissue you give the hug and you back away slowly. And in so doing, it's safer for everybody. Now, I said it's a compliment. We gentlemen, we are not that great at that. We are not good at crying. And so this scripture here, this verse, where Jesus Christ says, don't cry, we are at a risk of misconstruing it to mean when there's a funeral, where there's something bad that has happened, don't cry. That is not what Jesus Christ is saying. We know in John chapter 11, verses 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept when his friend Lazarus was, had died. So in other words, here, crying and responding with tears and pain and showing emotion in a bad situation is actually a strength, not a weakness. But Jesus Christ says here, don't cry. Now, this is the thing. It says in verses 13, when the Lord saw her, what happened? His heart overflowed with compassion. His heart overflowed with compassion. Now, we know a few things about Jesus Christ. Duncan was mentioning some cool attributes of Jesus. It's one of the things that we know, we know that Jesus Christ, or when we say God, we say God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at the same time. We also know that God is omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. He can do anything but fail. But also what we do know is that God is omniscient, omniscience. He knows everything. And I want to add another thing to your vocabulary is that God is omnipathic. In other words, he feels all things. Jesus Christ says, one day when you get to heaven, you know, I'll say to you, thank you for feeding me when I was hungry. Thank you for visiting me in prison. Thank you for visiting me in hospital. You know, thank you for giving me a glass of water. And you'll ask me in that day, Lord, well, you are not there. How is it that you're saying that we did these things to you? And he says, I will say to you then, as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Hebrews 4 tells us that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched. 
He was tempted in all ways, yet he was without sin. He, was, he, can, he is a priest who can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, when we talk about Jesus Christ specifically, Jesus Christ in the Godhead, Jesus Christ has experienced what it's like to be you and I. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be humiliated. He knows what it's like to be lied on. He knows what it's like to go for days without food. He knows what it's like to be beaten up. He knows what it's like to have thorns in your head. He knows what it's like to be pierced with the spear on your ribcage. He knows what it's like to have your beard ripped off your face. He knows what it's like to be spat on. He knows what it's like to be forsaken by your father. And if you are here, you are in a fatherless situation. Jesus experienced the moment where his father could not look upon him when all the sins of the world were placed upon him. And he cried and he said, my father, my father. In fact, he didn't say my father, my father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time Jesus Christ does not refer to God as father. It was when in that moment in the cross, when he was separated by, with the father because of the sins that you and I had committed. And the point here is Jesus Christ can empathize with all of us. And so what does he do in this situation? He's, he is moved by compassion. Each time Jesus Christ does anything in the gospel, he is moved by compassion. Now, usually what happens is for most of us, I'll see somebody hungry. I'll see somebody in pain. And I'm like, oh, shame. I feel sorry for that person. And sometimes my heart will even feel otherwise, like this is not a good thing that is happening. And oftentimes I would conclude that the reason that is happening is because I have compassion. I'd like to submit this to you, that that is not compassion, but it is pity. There's a distinct difference between having pity for a situation and showing compassion for a situation. Compassion means there's an action that is followed up by the feeling of being feeling pity for that person. And what Jesus Christ does here, he doesn't just say, don't cry and walks away. He says, don't cry. And he proceeds to the direction of where the problem is. And he goes to where the coffin is and he touches it. That is the compassion of Jesus. He does something about the thing that breaks his heart. And so each time for me, I look at somebody and I say, they, that person really needs Jesus. I feel sorry for them that they don't know Jesus. If I don't pray for them, if I don't share the gospel with them, I have no compassion for those people. If somebody is hungry, James says, if I just say, go and be fed and all that kind of stuff, that, that's not compassion. Compassion means I do something about the situation that that individual finds themselves to be in. And we see it being done by Jesus. And Jesus Christ proceeds and he goes and he touches the coffin. And you see, if we look at these two crowds, there's a situation that's going on here. There's a crowd that is being led by Jesus. There's a crowd that is led by this dead boy. And it is also true even in our contemporary situation is that we are following either one of those crowds. It's either we are following Jesus, and the Bible lets us know that Jesus Christ is life itself. It's either we are following life or we're following death. And the question I have for you this morning, which crowd are you on? Are you on the crowd that is following Jesus with everything, or are you on the crowd that is following death? 
And the Bible lets us know that all of us outside of Jesus Christ, we are dead in our sins. When we follow dead, the only thing that awaits us at the end of this trip, at the end of this, this uh, entourage that we are on is cold and covenous chamber, a life of separation and burning in hell outside of Jesus Christ. But there's a different outcome when you follow the crowd that is followed by, that is, that is being led by Jesus Christ. There is life instead of death. The same situation we see in this, in this text this morning is that Jesus Christ goes to where the grave is at. And it is a message for you and I that without Jesus Christ, we were all dead in our sins. He, Ephesians 2 verses 1 tells us that we were all dead. We were not hearing a little bit. We were not like, you know, little babies or whatever. We were dead in our sins. And a dead person cannot hear the word of God. And I said earlier, I said, well, the fact that you are here this morning is because it's, it is by divine appointment, not just by coincidence. God has a deliberate reason why he wants you to be here this morning. The reason is the same way we see this dead person being carried in the grave. He did not coordinate the circumstances so that he encounters Jesus at that day. It was Jesus Christ who came while he was in the coffin and touched him. And the same is true with all of us, is that the fact that you can be here and listen to the word of God and wake up and yes, you could have slept a little bit longer. You know, you could have still been celebrating whichever side of the fence you're on. You could have been celebrating or mourning the loss of Ireland, whatever the situation is, you know, and you've decided that I'm going to still get up in the morning and come and be and listen to the word of God. It is the working of grace in your life more than the working of your own wisdom, your own actions, your own righteousness. And so even when we hear, it's this, the, the truth is this, it doesn't matter how well I preach, it doesn't matter how bad I preach, or whatever the situation is, the point is, without the touch of Jesus, it is impossible to hear what God is saying. Without the touch of Jesus, it is impossible to hear what God is saying. And so that's why Ephesians 2 verses 8 says this to us. It's the, it's the tenets of our faith that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace that we can able to hear the word of God. And what we see, we see Jesus Christ, first what he does, he touches him. Then from touching him, he speaks to him. And that's the truth even for us. But as the Bible says, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. But a dead body cannot hear the word of God. You need the touch of grace. You need the touch of God for you to, your spirit to be quickened, to be alert and sensitive to what God is saying. And so the same thing we see, it just touches him. And then he speaks to him and he's able to respond and hear what God is saying. And hear what the word is saying. And again, I keep alluding to the fact that Jesus, the Bible says, he is the word of God. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. And I want to just touch on something which is also true from a cultural context of South Africa. Now, again, if you forget everything that I say this morning, if you can remember this, I will be glad and you will be blessed. Men die and women suffer. 
men die and women suffer. We see it in this passage. The men in her life are dead and she is left to suffer. But before I unpack and get to even how in my life this is applicable as well as it's applicable in your life as well, from a cultural contemporary context, it is also true. Now take these statistics for example. Throughout the world, the life expectancy of women is higher than men. Just not South, Afri not South Africa alone, globally, it is a global truth that the life expectancy of women is higher than that of men. But let's whittle it down closer to home in South Africa. SSA and the SAPS have been releasing statistics. And one of the things that we are scourged by in South Africa is the exceptionally high murder rates. We are being touted by others that we are the murder capital of the world. Last year alone, there was over 25,000 murders within South Africa. Within those murders, over 20,000 is men. Which means 84% of all murders in South Africa, it is men. And let's try this one. Suicide. We are in the top 10 in countries in the world with the highest suicide rates. Fourth in Africa. And amongst the suicide numbers within South Africa, eight out of 10 suicides is men. Or four out of five, 80% of all those suicides is men. If we go to the home front, what do we see is that South Africa has the highest fatherlessness rate in sub-Saharan Africa. Of about 63% of all kids being raised in South Africa grow in a fatherless home. The fathers are not there. And maybe you may be sitting there thinking, but Tim, but there's also the problem of GBV. What is GBV? Gender-based violence. And I would agree with you that GBV is exceptionally high within the South African context. In fact, I've written about it even in the Daily Maverick. I agree, it is a pandemic, if you would like to use that word, within South Africa. And it is so high that it is five times the global average. But within GBV, even though it's the violence committed by one, um, committed by an intimate partner to the other, it's not exclusive to women, it also includes men. And it is five times the global average. But our murder rates are seven times the global average. What I'm trying to get you to see is that while GBV is a bad thing, it does not happen in a vacuum. It happens in a broader cultural context where men within the South African context are dying. And it's not something which is just true today. It is true since Cain killed Abel. It's true from a, if you page through the pages of the Bible, it's true historically, it's true, it's true uh, anthropologically, it's the study of, of humanity. 
is true in recent history, whether it's World War I or World War II or other wars where men go and they fight and whatever, and then what happens is, again, they die, and then the widows are left to raise the children themselves. And again, women die, men die and women suffer. In my life, I've lived to experience elements of that. You know, coming, growing up in a fatherless home, being a casual statistic within South Africa. In, in 2015, when I, was, I just landed at Oratambo International Airport and I was coming from a speaking engagement in Cape Town, I was shot two bullets in a hijacking. And thank God I survived that. And I, you know, I told my friends after, immediately after this, like, hey, hey guys, I was shot two bullets like Tupac. I'm the dawn, you know. And, 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 and I believe that, you know. But the, the point being here, I'm glad and I'm grateful to God that I did survive. It was God's grace working in my life that I survived. But the truth is, those bullets were not meant to make me brag and say, I shot two bullets like Tupac. They were meant to kill me. And what was supposed to happen was that my wife was supposed to be a widow. My daughter, now I've got four, there's still one, Hope. She was 18 months old at the time. And it was, she was meant to grow up as a casual South African statistic growing up in a fatherless home. But thank God that he had his grace in my life that I survived. But you see, what did though happen is that as much as I survived the bullets, I did not survive the mental trauma that came after that. You know, every time I'd go to bed, you know, Stephen King and all his horror writings had nothing on the nightmares I was experiencing. Now, if you're a parent here, most of us, you know, especially being a father, I don't really mind going through any situation which is a crime type situation, you know, being beaten up or whatnot. I can deal with that stuff. The thing that terrifies me the most is for a crime to happen and my wife be with me and my children be there. And the dreams that I was having at that stage, hope would be riddled with bullets and I couldn't do anything in her 18-month small body. And to say that I was scared to fall asleep is an understatement. I was terrified to go to bed. And so I'd stay awake as long as possible. And in depression, sit in. Long story short, to try and deal with the depression, I started drinking like mad. And our lives became tumultuous. And we were heading towards the abyss of destruction. I'm going to call us the band to come up before we are about to land. In those moments of depression, drinking, and alcohol and, uh, and, and, and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, it, things got so bad between my wife and I at that stage that we were separated. And I am summarizing a very otherwise long story. And uh, she was left to take care of hope in the affairs of the house alone. But the point that I'm trying to draw here is that I was 
alive, but I was dead. Dead in their lives. Because I was not at home, not doing the things I was supposed to be doing. In many respects, even at work, I was doing well from what it appeared on the, in, on, with the naked eye, people who didn't have the context that I'm doing well, I'm still invited to speak there and do that and all that kind of stuff while my life was falling apart. And that is true for so many of us sometimes. If it may be true for you even here, is that just like this boy was dead, he was moving, but he was dead. There are so many who are moving, but they are moving in coffins, being carried by the pallbearer of your job, being carried by the pallbearer of your bank balance, being carried by the pallbearer of your hobbies, the things that you try to make you believe that life is still well. You are moving, but you are dead. That was true in my life. I was moving, but dead. And Denise was a widow, even though I was alive. But what I think I am grateful for is that even for me, Jesus Christ had grace over my life. And he touched me in my coffin, where I was completely delivered in a miraculous instant. To the point that I didn't, at that stage, I was taking Schedule 5 medication. I, I stopped the Schedule 5 medication of depression and anxiety and all sorts of crazy things that I was going through, including alcohol. And when I was delivered that day, I never touched a drop of alcohol again. And again, I'm not saying drinking is bad in totality in my case, because it was a problem. God gave me the grace to be able to come alive again. Now, this is the thing. My mother, who was, again, old, 78 years old, or in fact, before then, she was like just in her mid-70s. She was also praying just as much as Denise was praying and, and for me to get delivered. At one occasion, though, Denise even fainted at one of the big four law firms. I'm not going to mention the law firm here in Santon. And she was, she was resuscitated from there. And I said, can we take you to the hospital? She said, no, don't take me to the hospital. Because at that stage, even our medical aid was cancelled. Again, men die and women suffer. I was dead in chaos. She was suffering, trying to figure out how we're going to pay for the house, how we're going to raise hope. And there was no hope for me. Until Jesus Christ broke in. And as I said, he delivered me in a miraculous way. And so when my mom calls me in 2020, it was during the COVID and the Delta variant was at its roughest at that stage. And she said to me, son, now, this is after God had delivered me. He said, like, I can't believe what God did in your life. Because what had happened in your life from you being shot and also the chaos that ensued after that is nothing short of a miracle. And I've seen people who've gone down the direction that you've taken seldom get back up again. Seldom get delivered. But in your life, I've seen God work. And then she, and she turned around and said to me, look, I think now 
you know, yeah, yeah, you're talking about this ministry thing that God is calling you to do. I think go back now, just go and be great at your work and whatever, that's what you need to do. And I said, look, I just sense God calling me into ministry, to serving Him. And kind of dialing down on my profession. And she's like, but what does your wife say? I said, well, no, Denise, in fact, independent of me, says she does what she's sensing God saying to her. And then my wife paused for a long time. And she says, son, you know what? Um, you have good wife. Many were not going to be able to endure all the stuff that you guys have gone through, let alone saying it's okay for you to pursue what you sense God is saying you must. God has blessed you with a good wife. For me as a mom, you are my last born. I was just living for one thing, to see you become the man God has called you to be. And also that you are married to a good wife. And I think at this point, I've seen it both. And that's when she hung up. A couple of days after that, we received a call that she had contracted COVID, the Delta variant. And on the 20th of July, we received the call that she was gone to be with the Lord. And I tell that story because there's something that a lot of the times that I can say and preach about the resurrecting power of Jesus and all that stuff in my life. But what I'm most grateful for also is that God restored the broken relationships in my life. He restored my relationship with my mother. He restored my relationship with my wife. And what is very critical when you look at this passage, Jesus, the Bible says in verse 15, Jesus gave him back to his mother. And he could have said, now that you have been saved or you have been, you have resurrected from the tomb, go out into and, you know, go to Judea and all those things, all those things, great as they may be, Jesus's priority was that, go back to your mother. He restored those broken relationships. And I do believe even here this morning, God wants to restore broken relationships. He wants to restore that relationship that you thought will never be reconciled again. If you look at this woman and the son, there is nothing that destroys a relationship like death itself. And Jesus Christ makes him rise up again and reconnect. In my life, my wife was a widow when I was alive. Made me rise up again, reconciled our relationship together. It's nothing short of a miracle. And I'm sensing that God wants to restore and we're living in a society that is seeking and it's doing all it can to divide between men and women. You know, as a man, I can do it without a woman. As as, as, as woman, I can do it without men. But the reality, all the way back to the book of Genesis, God has always said, we need each other. And if you believe that, and if you keep saying that, you know what, I will say at best, it is you convincing yourself of something you know is not true. But at worst, it is you actually preaching the devil's gospel. 
the devil has always sought to create division between men and women. And ever since the beginning of creation, what we keep seeing is that men die and women suffer. And we get confused as to who is the enemy. The enemy is the devil himself. The enemy is sin itself. And don't lose the reality that when Jesus Christ heals this woman here, he's speaking a bigger message that he has come to conquer the consequence of sin, which is death. It was his battle against death. And I use the, an illustration of superheroes that Jesus Christ is the actual real life superhero. Before there was all these great guys, Superman and, and Arnold and the, in the commando and all these great guys, there was Jesus. He is the he-man of the Bible. And the great thing is that he's not a fictional character. He is God in the flesh. Amen. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye closed. I'm just going to let the band to play even in the background. And I don't want to rush this moment. Now I want to repeat this. The reason you are here is that God has an appointment with you. God wants to deposit a message in your life. And even as I was preaching, I did witness a few tears. So I do believe God is working in your heart. And if you're here today and you are, are sensing that God has been touching you, you sense the touch of Jesus just like this dead boy and he wants to speak to you. And you say, Timber, that's me. I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But today, I want to accept him as my Lord and Savior in my life. And I'm not calling you to a casual acquaintance. It is a big decision. I'd argue it is the biggest decision that you'll ever make in your life. And you want to say, yes, I want to make Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to ask you to slip up your hand. Amen. God sees that hand. God sees that hand. God sees those tears too. Hallelujah. God sees those hands. Hallelujah. And I hope the ushers were able to identify. But for the rest of us, I want us to do this in solidarity with those hands that have just gone up to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Just please say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I'm going to ask us all to say it just to, in solidarity with them as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place. I confess that I'm a sinner 
deserving of death. This morning, I ask you to forgive me, and I repent and turn away from my sin and choose to follow life, to follow you, and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I declare this morning that I am a new creation.